Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Bharat Babies. Bharat Babies produces children's books about India with a story for everyone. I've featured their books several times on the podcast and through blog posts, but now I've got a special offer for you, dear podcast listener. Visit bharatbabies.com and get $5 off any purchase of $19.95 or more when you use the code READINGISRAD. That's B-H-A-R-A-T-B-A-B-I-E-S dot com with the offer code READINGISRAD. Support also comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators, and editors at Storyteller Academy. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. We also had um, predictions that because you're calling from the future, that maybe something happens in the future that we weren't aware of. <laughs> all good, all good. <laughs> no worries, all good. Wonderful. Good to know. Good. <laughs> all right. Don't well, lie to us. <laughs> that's right. Don't. Manuel is already suspicious. She doesn't want us to despair. <laughs> When what matters most to you is an invitation to a greater discussion, how does the book you envision, you craft, you labor over, all point back to that original goal? This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 511. Today I'm welcoming Kathy McMillan, Manuela Bernardi, and Catherine Onesta in a conversation that spans three continents over a book reaching even wider still. She Spoke, 14 Women Who Raised Their Voices and Changed the World, incorporates historical recordings from women throughout history, making history through their words, ideas, and actions. And the collaboration all started 15 years ago over some Harry Potter fan fiction. A critical point my guests returned to over and over is that their subjects each had someone who believed in them, when designing a book to inspire and empower young people, this is something that was kept in my mind. The ability to see and to name that person in your life who believes in you. This is sometimes easier said than done, but it's something we as adults in the lives of these young people can work to secure in and throughout their lives. I think this conversation is really going to stick with you. Please welcome my guests, Kathy McMillan, Manuela Bernardi, and Catherine Honesta, the authors 
and illustrator of She Spoke, 14 Women Who Raised Their Voices and Changed the World. I will start. Hi, I'm Kathy McMillan, and I am an author and a librarian and an American Sign Language interpreter and a fervent Hufflepuff. And I write books for all different age groups. Uh, I write nonfiction. I write fantasy. I write middle grade. I write young adult. I write picture books. Um, and I was really excited to work on this book. I am not as good at introductions, but my name is Manuela Bernardi. If you want to call me the way Brazilians call me, it's Manuela Bernardi. But anyway, I'm a Brazilian screenwriter, uh, a writer in general. And I've written stuff that you guys haven't seen because you're not Brazilian. <laughs> and now I'm one of the co-authors of She Spoke. And I'm really excited to be here. Hi, everyone. I'm Catherine. Uh, Catherine Honesta, and I'm from Jakarta, Indonesia. So I'm actually a freelance illustrator. I do um, illustrations for pretty much everything from uh, advertising campaign, children's storybooks, um, and brandings, murals, and you name it. And I'm so excited to be here. And uh, I happen to have this awesome opportunity to be able to work with Kathy and Manuela for this book. So before we were talking, we, we had a couple bumps with technology, which is amazing that we had such a minimal bump when you're connecting from like Maryland in United States and Brazil and Indonesia. But I, I, before we were talking, Catherine, I wanted to say that Kathy and Manuela and I were just going on and on about how beautiful we think your art, not only in She Spoke, Thank but you. also your, your art that you share online is it's, it's exceptional. You do beautiful work. Thank you so much. Definitely. I, though, want to make sure um, that we center She Spoke up front because, Kathy, you introduced me to this book when we were, I think when we were at Baltimore Book Festival sometime, one of the times that we've seen each other. And the concept as you shared it with me was just um, not quite like anything I had heard before. And um, I know you've been now visiting schools since the book came out would you mind sharing that like elevator pitch of the book to those who haven't encountered this book yet certainly uh this is she spoke 14 women who raised their voices and changed the world um is unique in that it uses the audio format that's usually used for books about farm animals and transportation <laughs> but it is uh, applying it to a book that's written for ages 8 to 12 and highlights 14 female trailblazers who spoke up. And so it's when you press the button, instead of hearing a cow or a tractor, you're hearing Dr. Maya Angelou and uh, Lima Bowie and Hillary Rodham Clinton. And you're hearing these women in their own voices, getting to read about them and their accomplishments and accompanied by beautiful illustrations by Catherine Onesta. So you... Uh, you, Kathy, and Manuela uh, wrote this book together. Manuela, would you mind sharing a little bit about how this idea came, how you became involved, how how one gets a book that is, like you're saying, well, I, I have young children, so we had Elmo books like this, Sesame Street books, farm books, and yet this is, this is, this is a, like a, almost like a middle grade age biography format where you're actually the giving voice to those those women who accomplished these great things where did this idea come from 
Actually, the idea, the whole book has been like 15 years in the making because wow. that's when, that's when Kathy and I met <laughs> <laughs> online. We met writing Harry Potter fan fiction. You did not. We totally <laughs> did. <laughs> did. Wow. I was a teenager in Rio de Janeiro and she was working as a volunteer for a Harry Potter site and they, she would edit fan fiction from like people from all over the world. I was writing in English for the first time <laughs> and she was randomly assigned to be my beta reader, which is my editor in fan fiction speak. <laughs> and we just like fell in writerly love. We just loved each other's writing. We love to write together. We love to read each other's stories. And we've been having this relationship for a decade, 15 years. I, I think it has been 17 years, actually. Wow. Yeah. And, and Kathy, she's been writing <clears throat> for fantasy novels. And she wrote Nita's First Signs and other books for... Kathy, what, what, was, what was your first book in, with Familiars? Was it Nita's? Nita's first sign was my first book. Nita's first signs was my first book with Familia's Press. Yeah. And David Miles, who was the creative director at Familia's Press at the time, was he actually loved the... her work. Aww. He loved her work because yeah. <laughs> and he was actually the one who came up with the idea for the format of She Spoke. So this was a unique project in that it really wasn't my idea or Manuela's idea or even Catherine's idea. It was actually pitched to us by the editor and yeah. um because I had worked with them before and they knew that my background was in libraries and research and they needed a, a researcher to work on this. Um, they asked me to take it on. And at the time I had a bunch of other projects and it was a really fast deadline um, for, and I know for Catherine, it was a fast deadline too. For us, yeah. uh, we started working on it in June and we had to have the final manuscript done and edited and just completed by the end of September. And that is crazy fast for a yeah. book turnaround. That is crazy fast. Before so. we take one more step, I just need to ask because then I need to go back to Harry Potter briefly because Manuela, <laughs> that, I, 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 I mean, because like, yeah, I like how we're just trying to skim over that. That's beautiful. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Manuela, what, what um, house are you? What? What house are you? Oh, I'm a, I'm I, I like to say I'm a Ravenclaw, but when I took the the Pottermore yeah. quiz, it said I was a Slytherin, and then it said oh. I was a Gryffindor, so I'm like everything <laughs> but a Hufflepuff, basically. Oh, no. Okay, now see, I have to step Harry in here because each other, see? <laughs> that really annoys me because when people say the, the quiz online says I'm this or that, the sorting hat listens to you. Come on, if you say you're a Hufflepuff. <laughs> Our choices matter more than our abilities. Oh, <laughs> no. is, yeah. But Sorry, I, I, I am ambitious and I'm, I am ambitious and I'm also trying to be brave. So yeah. I feel like it's not terrible to be a Slytherin or a Gryffindor, but you know. They were respectable. I was just saying they were respectable Slytherins, but I was self identifying as a Ravenclaw forever and then found out that I was a Hufflepuff on Pottermore and all my friends were like, well, yeah, of course you are. And I thought, oh, okay, that sounds like a Hufflepuff thing to say. Now, Catherine, if it makes you feel any better, oh. I, I, the same thing happened to me. I self-identified as a, a Ravenclaw until all of my friends were like, oh, no, 
you're totally a Hufflepuff. That's so sweet. Such a Hufflepuff yeah, thing to do. It's, it's so weird because I'm also a Hufflepuff oh, when I took the test. Oh. Like, tell me Hufflepuff in this recording. I'm That's... the odd man out. Yeah. Odd woman out. <laughs> you're going to keep us on track, though. This is great, Mama. She does that. <laughs> so so the, the turnaround was very fast to make this book. Um, did that editor have the um the design the format in mind going into it though because what i love about this book and we're getting a lot of really great beautifully illustrated biography collections coming out um but what i loved about this one in particular was the extensions not just that you have um given the 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 paragraph or two giving a a little summary of the individual's life but also then that you contextualize why we're hearing her voice. This was recorded, uh, you know, in this year when she was speaking about this topic. Um, and you, you, you know, um, also write out the quote that is recorded. But I like also that is included your turn to speak up. That section that gives two sort of think about it, extension questions. Uh, I found when I have shared this with children, I could spend... I mean, you, this probably wouldn't surprise you, but I can read one one biography um, of, of just one of the individuals of these 14 and ask one of those two questions. And we will spend, we have spent the entire time talking. In particular, if I can read an example, um, where is it? Um, Shirley Chisholm. Um, oh. The quote, maybe I'll just read the quote because I don't think it'll play through the microphone very well, but I will try to find if I can get an audio clip that I can play through the episode. But um, the quote you have um, from her is, I believe that we are smart enough to correct our mistakes. I believe we are intelligent enough to recognize the talent, energy, and dedication which all Americans, including women and minorities, have to offer. And the first follow-up question, Kathy, I'm telling you, I don't think I even said this to you in person, but this question we spent the entire class talking about. Shirley ran for president even though she knew she had no chance of winning, just so she could make it easier for the people who would come after her. Why is winning not always the goal? You have sprinkled this entire book with open-ended questions like that that I found to be profoundly enriching and to know that you were doing that on such a short timeline is really impressive to me was this the vision of the book all along or were Kathy did you and Manuela sort of have influence over the the book or the individuals included in it as you were going we definitely did have um influence over it. And I think actually we can take credit for the discussion question piece. It's kind of hard to remember who exactly did what, because there was a lot of collaboration. I'm pretty sure it was um, you. Okay, I'll take credit. Um, <laughs> but you know, when the, the format was sort of brought to us, it was really just, it's going to be this sort of picture book biography with the audio. And then, you know, I kind of took it and ran with it as far as the research. You know, most of the research which fell onto me because I was the person who had access to the databases and and had the research background. Um, and then and we went, so it actually had to start with the, the clips um, because they had to either be public domain or ones that we could get permissions for. And then we had to figure out 
who we wanted to put in there and, and narrow it down and make sure we had, you know, a diversity in a lot of different ways, because you didn't want to have 14 people talking about the same topic, for example. Um, and we wanted to have a lot of different representation. Um, but we, when Manuela and I talked about how we wanted to structure things, we knew we wanted to have that context of the quotes and not just have random quotes thrown out there. And we really wanted to have that sort of exactly like you said, Matthew, uh, that piece that could be used in the classroom to kind of encourage kids to make that text to self-connection and really think about what these women did um, and apply those things to their own lives. And we talked a lot about what mattered to us in this topic because mm. it's it's something that is really close to both our hearts. Kathy loves, she, she's been studying and working with communication forever and I've been struggling with like having my voice heard all my life. As you can see on my Twitter account, I never post anything because I'm scared <laughs> of like people judging what I'm going to say. So it was like a therapy <laughs> to, to work on this book. And we talked a lot about like what lessons we could learn, in what ways these women were inspire, inspiring. So everything about how they failed and then they tried again, and they fought hard, and they taught others, and everyone had someone who believed in them. And we made sure to have those people in their stories because we need our allies. We need people who prop us up. Otherwise, we won't. no one can do anything alone. So that was definitely something we put in it. And I, I want to say something that I don't think... I, I'm not sure I should say, but when, when, <laughs> when the book was proposed to us, the, the, its name was She Spoke and the World Listened. And Kathy mm. and I were talking about it, and we were like, not really. When women speak, the world usually doesn't listen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's something that we went to Familias, and we said, like, we don't feel like that's a, a fair, like an honest title for the book, as women who actually live this mm -hmm. <laughs> reality. And that's where the whole, like, 14 women who raised their voices and changed the world came from. Because not usually we're not heard. So, And we didn't want to imply that it's only worth speaking up if the world is going to listen. Exactly. A lot of these women spoke up despite the fact that they weren't listened to. And it's even more important in that circumstance. Exactly. That, mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how to respond to that. That's so powerful to know that the way those words were strung together originally could have could have sent couldn't may not have aligned with the message you were trying to say or the message you wanted children your readers to take from this Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from the Highlights Foundation. The Highlights Foundation is excited to be hosting an important event this June 14 to 16, Building Cultural Competency in Today's Children's Publishing Industry, a working symposium. They've put together a stellar faculty of changemakers to guide you, including Edith Campbell, librarian and social justice advocate, Dr. Debbie Reese, educator and author, Renee Watson, author, educator, and activist, Paula Yu, author and TV writer-producer, Dr. Laura M. Jimenez, educator and reviewer, and Dr. Marisala Jimenez-Garcia, author and educator. Space is limited, so be sure to register for this exciting working symposium today. Visit highlightsfoundation.org slash programs. 
That's highlightsfoundation.org slash programs. I want to jump to you, Catherine, because your portraits, not only are your portraits vibrant and beautiful, but I can tell that you also researched these individuals and that you, uh, how would you say that? That you really staged the way that their portraits are shown to us as a means of communicating to the readers. So I wanted to ask a little bit about what that research and that work looked like for you creating these illustrations. When I when I first heard about this book, it's the same. So uh, this is actually my first time working with families. And uh, I think uh, the first time it came to me, it's just like a list of names. For me, it's like a lot of uh, their names are not familiar. I mean, I know some famous one like Dr. Jane Goodall, Malala. Um, yeah, I can only name a few like Maya Angelou and the rest of it is like I, I, I haven't heard about them. So I went and researched. And uh, the first thing, because this is for children, I really want to make it very colorful. So I plan to choose like a color for every portrait. Uh, some of it are inspired by their works. For example, Dr. Maya Angelou um, on her book, it's like a um, red cover. Uh, so I, I plan to choose, okay, red for Dr. Maya. So uh, when I research, I decided like one color for them each. Uh, but when I do research, I tend to like being fascinated by their stories because a lot of them, I don't, like it's not very big here in Indonesia. For example, Dr. Temple Grandin, that this is the very first time I've heard about Dr. Temple Grandin, and I was very fascinated about her story. So I think um, not only the illustrations part, but I also learned a lot from this process. And it's each of their stories really, really resonates with me, and it opens up a new world. So yeah, it's, a, it's an eye-opening journey for me as well. Did you search just you started just searching for any image in history that you could find of these individuals yeah because i i really want to make the portrait as accurate as possible yeah but um i also like for example uh chrisley kislom i search like there is one typical there is one uh particular portrait that really strikes me a lot for example when she um like the one that i draw when she happened to have like speech Yes. And uh, but some of it is my creation of um, what their occupations might be. For example, um, Dr. Joanne Liu, and some of it are like uh, directions from the art directors, which is uh, David. So some of it he he wants a really particular scene that I have to draw. But other I'll I'll just recreate from my imaginations or what they will be like. For example, for Tammy Duckworth, uh, David only said that he wants me to uh, draw her with her baby because he wants to show that uh, she's a family uh, woman. But uh, I, I decided to draw all of her family with her little daughter as well be- uh, from one of the pictures. So like it's different for every portrait. Catherine, your, your art's so beautiful. It's so pretty. 
to, to flip through this book and see your color story throughout, um, to see the colors that connect the women, but also, as you're saying, the ones that distinguish them. Uh, it was something really beautiful. And the those illustrations that um, are full page that then carry over to the buttons that you press for the speeches, mm-hmm. to see all of those individuals collected um, standing together or, or or framed together, as it were, um, it, it really speaks to um, how you captured uh, who they were, uh, the diversity that was represented, and also just the, the light that that shines from their eyes, from their being. You really, you, there's something vibrant to what you painted. They're really pretty. But I really want to give the credits to David too, because at first I was just uh, submitting like just singular portraits of each of these women. I when I when I first see the result, like the real book, I was so blown away because like the format, as you said, is really interesting and the buttons and everything. So I really want to give the credits to the art director as well. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm always amazed that it takes that there's a team behind a book yeah. of course there when you when you start to break it down there has to be a team behind it but you just we we readers take for granted all it takes to to make a book feel effortless to make a book work the way it does uh and there was there was great design behind this book for sure Catherine, I feel like you should know i'm not sure if you saw the pictures that i posted on social media but for the launch party um uh-huh. i got the the pictures from the buttons um i got them printed on edible icing and we had them on cupcakes and they were fantastic so cute. <laughs> really I have, okay you have to send me that picture okay i will <laughs> i'll have to find yeah share it we'll we'll add the link to the to the uh episode notes i think everyone Certainly. will see those wow <laughs> now you can eat your favorite hero exactly <laughs> have them inside you to inspire you for that's right that's right and the sugar you need to get going that's right so the the um kathy you were talking about the the process of identifying different women to represent that diversity that you have um you have indigenous individuals you have people running in politics you have um neurodiversity represented you you have um different age represented um, I was blown away to realize that Jane Goodall is on tour 300 days of the year. Uh, yes. That was amazing. It's really, I could distinctly, of all the facts I was reading, that one little note was something I think I was sharing over and over as I think that it must have just been as I received this book, Jane Goodall had made the news or something. So it was just on my mind, 300 days of the year. Um, yes. But I wonder in gathering all those names and, and hoping to, uh, procure the the audio clips of them um, where you started wh- how you narrowed down what just uh, that as Catherine <laughs> said there were so many I, I feel embarrassed to say there were so many names I, I had never heard of before yeah that was actually intentional we Manuela and I when we were narrowing down our list we really wanted to have a mix of people you've heard of um, and also people you hadn't heard of and there's so many women in this book that I had heard of but I didn't really know anything about them like Dolores Huerta she is somebody who 
you know, if many, even people who, you know, were around when United Farm Workers was doing its its biggest work, they, a lot of people think she sees herself as his girlfriend. She's so not. Like, she was the one who was on the front lines doing, you know, doing the hard negotiations. And at the time, you know, she kind of let him be the face of the organization because she sort of felt like it was her job to do that negotiation. She was kind of the secret weapon. But, you know, learning about her work and how undervalued it's been. It's just incredible. And then somebody like Dr. Joanne Liu, the international president of Doctors Without Borders, who alerted the world to the Ebola epidemic. I mean, so many women are doing these amazing big things and just are not, people don't know them. They're not household names and they ought to be. So when we were trying to narrow it down, um, it really started by looking for the clips um, I I know a lot about audio uh, research now, um, and there's so much that's available online. And also being being here in Maryland and close to the National Archives and Library of Congress was really helpful. Um, but really, most things I was able to find through online resources. There are lots of special collections. The the Schlesinger Library is one that has a lot of um, collections of women. Um, and feminist collections. Um, there is a collection, I believe it's the University of Iowa, has a collection on women in politics and speeches. So, and a lot of times it was kind of following different rabbit trails, you know, like I might find a speech and then I'd have to see if I can find audio of that speech. And then you might find audio of the speech, but then you have to figure out, is that public domain or who owns the rights to it? Um, there were some, there's so many that we would have loved to include, but we yeah. couldn't. Like, for example, um, there's a wonderful clip of Amelia Earhart talking about women in science back in the 1930s. And that you can Google that, find it on YouTube, but it's so old that it was hard to determine who actually owned it <laughs> to get permission to use it. So, um, and then there was the question of, okay, we've got a clip of this person. Is it a clip that makes sense in a 30 minute soundbite out of context? And does it represent what that woman's story is about? Um, and one example is we would have loved to include Ruth Bader Ginsburg in this book, um, but all of the public domain clips we could find were either very specific to a, a certain Supreme Court case and they didn't make sense out of context or they were kind of boring. Um, so, you know, a lot of the really classic quotes that you know from her are not available in the public domain. Um, so that was a challenge as well. But we did end up with over 30 clips to choose from. So who knows, maybe there'll be a she spoke to. <laughs> yeah, that 30 second clip I know really wow. does restrict you, but I can also yeah. tell that Again, the, the the idea of this book, the idea of giving voice to these women, not just to read their words, but to allow them that space to have a voice and what that means for our learners to connect that voice. It, I, In particular, what I was taking for granted was that I know what Dr. Maya Angelou's voice is. So I knew when I was going to press that button you know, the, the timbre of her voice and how, mm. how much her voice is commanding. And that could be why she is a poet or why she was called to be a poet or what makes her such a, who knows, all the things. She is a voice that I know and I can feel the love in it. But realizing that most of my readers, most of my students probably have never heard her voice before unless someone has intentionally played it for them um, really uh, 
really was driven home by all of these different voices that when I was pressing these buttons, I didn't know what they sounded like. It That was something that was new for me. And that that was an element that really I felt like was a gift that the three of you gave to me or that Familius gave to me and to, <laughs> to all of us. Because to experience something like that for the first time leaves, it, it made a mark. It leaves an impression. And I will remember these women because of hearing their voice and hearing their words. And that is so important. That is so like women, are, women are so used to being looked at and not heard that the fact that we have like familias and this book has like given us a, a chance to just bring their voices with us. Like, on the subway and anywhere. <laughs> Could you, you know, imagine? Think... Like you're at you're at the grocery store, you're at the wherever, and the, the the kid that is holding this, it's not a baby pressing the Elma button over and over and over, <laughs> but it's a eight, nine, ten year old kid pressing the voice of this individual over and over to hear her voice and her message. That that to me is just there's something so impressive and so uh, halting about that. That's beautiful. I agree. And, you know, it, when we first wrote this book, we were writing it for ages eight to 12, but I don't think I really realized until I held it in my hands, how much appeal it has outside that age range too, um, both for adults uh, but also younger children. So younger children, of course, can be read the book, but they can also participate it, in it directly in a way that they can't other books that are read to them because they can press that button and hear that voice. And that didn't really hit me until a couple of weeks ago uh, when a mother posted something on Twitter. Um, she had gotten the book for her four-year-old son and he quickly memorized several of the quotes and she posted a video of him performing the Abby Wambach quote. And I just about fell over because <laughs> it's just wow. the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. That's amazing. I was going to say on my end, I have a four-year-old daughter and she was, we didn't read the book. She saw the picture and then found the button. She was finding mm -hmm. the matches to play them um, and just loved some of the voices as well. So it's neat. You're right. The way that, that different ages are interacting with these different books. I imagine that for some parents or grandparents that are reading with these children that they very well may have heard these speeches or may have heard um, these, these quotes before. And, and in that way you're activating a different part of the reader's memory, that reader's memory too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, my friend, Karen Leggett Abarea, who is the author of uh, Malala Yousafzai warrior with words, her book, came out a few weeks before she spoke did. So she actually participated in our launch party with us. Um, and she worked on Shirley Chisholm's presidential campaign. So she wore her Chisholm for, for president button to our launch party, which was really cool. Oh, that connection. Holy yeah. cow. I can feel that we will go on and on and on with this conversation. There's so much to unpack, but uh, I want to respect our time. And I, I, I want to, I think, just turn the conversation this way by asking you, 
Kathy, for all the ground we covered, and I'll go one by one, for all the ground we covered today, is there anything else about the book that we didn't mention that you want to make sure the listeners of this podcast know about the the book or the process of making it or the individuals included, anything at all? I guess what I always like to tell people about is the process of writing a book when your co-author lives in another hemisphere. Um it's, it wasn't too different for us because Manuela and I have been critique partners for years and years and years. Um, in fact, my last young adult novel is dedicated to her because she had a part of every word in it. Um, but we did, you know, it's easy enough to split up the writing. But the thing is, when we would get together to edit, we would do it live via Skype. And we would use Google Drive and, you know, make our changes live and talk through them. So now, even though I know that we split up the profiles and did the initial research and drafting, I can't tell you which of us wrote which one because they sound like both of us because we edited them together. So it, I feel like the final product is so far beyond my wildest dreams of what it would have been if I had done it myself. So I'm really glad that and Willa worked on this with me. <laughs> That's so beautiful to know that you can't tell where one ends and the other begins. That's beautiful. Manuela, how about you? Is there anything that we didn't cover about the book that you wanted to make sure that the listeners knew? I, I always like to mention that I would love to have Brazilian women in it, but there weren't <laughs> any speeches of them speaking in English <laughs> that we could find. But also, I feel like I'm just so grateful for this book. I, I'm, I'm really happy that I wrote it, but also I'm really happy that it, it exists. Mm. <laughs> and just, it's something that I had, I had to learn to write it, and I always keep learning it every time I reread it. Just the courage of these women and like how brave and how selfless they were to share their voices and try to help and just keep banging their heads against the wall and against everyone that didn't want to hear them. I'm just so grateful that they exist and this book exists. And it's, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I hear that. And I can feel the potential for more, if given the opportunity, for expanding what you've already done. And, and I hope that, I hope that if nothing else, through the work of, reaching readers speaking in front of people that, that you all have the chance to uh, bring even more attention to even more voices. Catherine, is there anything that you wanted to share that we didn't touch on about your process of making the art or your involvement in the book? Um, maybe it's the learning process. Like when I do this book, I learn so much. It inspired me to look at my own country like um, like Manuela said, maybe there is not a lot of Brazilian women that get highlighted. I, I, I get to look onto my country or like Asian women in general. Uh, I think it, it will be great if we have like this kind of book highlighting Asians or Indonesian women. And I think, yeah, uh, I think we need it. Because uh, when I share this book with my friends and my Indonesian followers, not a lot, not a lot of them know these stories and uh, the courage that these women had. And I think Indonesian especially will be really benefited uh, by these books. So yeah, I'm just very grateful and I'm just very happy to be able to participate in this book with you guys. Mm. <laughs> well. 
I'm I'm grateful that the three of you came together. Um, Catherine, I think that that all of us and and especially those listening that that have the chance to encounter the book will just be dreaming in the colors that you painted <laughs> on these pages. And <laughs> and I love that the way that many of these readers will first encounter these women will be through your art and that I could tell from talking to you the effort that you put in to make sure that that first impression was the one you really wanted to make with these children. And that means a lot to me being in front of children all day long. It means a lot to me that each of you put in that you put in the work and you put in the care to honor these 14 women. So thank you for that. Thank you. Well, I I will ask you each of this in turn um, so that we can center ourselves back on those very children. Um, So I'll start with you, Kathy. I'll see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? I would say that so often we are given the message, whether from the outside world or from, from ourselves, that speaking up is selfish that, you know, oh, what you have to say isn't important and you're wasting other people's times. But in fact, the opposite is true. You have a story and you have a voice that is unique to you and keeping it inside is depriving the world. So speak up because your words are important. Thank you. Manuela, is there a message I can share from you? I feel like it's important not only for children, but for everyone to know that Life is hard and you're going to fail and it's going to be tough and you're probably not going to make it on your first try or on your 20th time. But, you know, it's worth it to keep trying and to, you know, learn and maybe one day you can just, maybe you can fail in a wonderful way like Shirley Chisholm did (laughs) and that's already worth it you know Mm. yes definitely and finally Catherine is there a message that I can bring to them from you gosh I don't know (laughs) but I think um, I want them to not lose their sense of play because um, when they grow up they tend to I don't know, they tend to lose their innocence and their sense of play. And I think even us as an adult, um, it will it will benefit us so much if we keep on playing, you know? Like uh, as a creative, um, often, it often time feels very, I don't know, very um, like I have to follow a lot of rules and I, I tend to forget to play around my art and when you play, you loosen yourself and then a lot of like new art or new creations will come up. So I'm, I'm, I think I, I just want to tell them to keep on doing what you are doing. They, they are really good at it. And yeah, just don't lose that sense of play. This is Mariana Llanos, author of the books Tristan Wolf and Poesia Alada, among others. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. 
All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and keeping the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny, Sue, Amy, Sarah, Kate, Lisa, Darshna, Marianne, Jarrett, Anitra, Mike, Lynn, Link, Corina, Cynthia, Elaine, Doug, Judy, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Teresa, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to come with us, too. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumor has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favorite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.